With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Club Champion, the nation's number one fitter, builder, and retailer of the best brands in golf. With more than 35,000 hittable head and shaft combinations, Club Champion can find the best options for your swing. Look, you've heard me talk about it millions of times on this show, folks. You need to get fit for new golf clubs. Go out to clubchampiongolf.com today for more details. Let's go. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can find me on social media at Golf Unfiltered, and you can send us an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Shoutouts to our friends who help make this podcast possible, starting with our friends over at TheHackersParadise.com, if you're listening to this on their THP mobile app. Hello to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf. I continue to play their equipment throughout the 2019 season. I am looking forward to finally getting back out on the golf course. I also am looking forward to testing out the new Z-Forged Irons from Srixon Golf. They are gorgeous, and so if you follow us on social, you've seen a few photos already. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at BudgetGolf.com with all of their great deals, promotions, everything that you can find or would want to find for your 2019 golf season is at BudgetGolf.com. Folks, today our guest is a return guest, Mr. Luke Kerr-Denneen. He is the instruction editor over at Golf.com. You may remember him from other sites like Golf Digest and USA Today's For the Win blog, where he did a lot of great golf writing, a lot of great blogging. He certainly found a new niche by touching on the instruction element of golf. He being a past collegiate golfer himself, he's a very strong player from what I understand, And Luke and I talk a lot about not only his background in the game, but also what he perceives to be the best historical golf swings, as well as how they compare to today's game. Luke and I go in a few different directions here, but what's always great about speaking with someone like Luke, who has such a solid understanding of not only the game of golf itself, but just the intricacies like the golf swing and others, is that we all always tend to learn something from one another, and so it's great to bring Luke back on to this week's show. So without much further ado, sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Luke Kerr-Denis. Hi, this is Bill Hobson from the Four Golfers Network podcast, and as you and I enjoy this episode of Golf Unfiltered with my friend Adam, I'm reminded of an indisputable reality. We, as golfers, are nuts. We chase a small ball around the planet, spending thousands of dollars in the effort to get that ball into a tiny hole. We then yell at the ball and curse it when it doesn't listen, even though it can't listen, it's a ball. 
This insanity is all part of the magic of the game, and it's what we celebrate on the Four Golfers Network podcast every Monday when a fresh episode comes your way on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, you know, all the places. So after you finish listening to Adam today, I'd love to have you check out the Four Golfers Network podcast, that's F-O-R-E, where we celebrate the game with top-name guests and an exploration of the things about golf that both drive us crazy and bring us back for more. I stink! The ball is just sitting there, and I can't hit it! And welcome back, folks. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, very excited to bring back uh, another time, Mr. Luke Curdenine. It's been a while, Luke, since you and I have spoken about this podcast. It's crazy. I know, a couple of years. How, how have you been? You've only interacted <laughs> on Twitter. I know, I've been good. You know, things things are busy. You and I were chatting a little bit uh, before this that, you know, things are busy in your in your camp as well. Oh, yeah, it's all good stuff. So I'm over at golf.com as the instruction editor and just trying to help golfers get better every day, Adam. So, um, but, you know, it's, it's staying busy, but that's how I like it. You know, it's interesting because the last time that you and I spoke, Luke, you, I believe, were over at For the Win. Uh, and uh, you were working on a number of different things, just general PGA Tour, you know, commentary. You were, you know, interviewing a few golfers. And now it's it's a pretty big jump to go to instruction editor. You know, how did that go about? How did, you, how did you know that they were looking for one? Just so many questions around that. Yeah, so it's, it's, a really, it's been a really fun journey to this point. I was at Golf Digest, and then I was at USA Today as a sort of golf writer and editor after that. But I covered a lot of general sports, too, towards the end of my three years then. And now I'm at uh, Golf.com as the instruction editor. And I've always been just like a total swing nerd, swing junkie. I grew up, I went to the International Junior Golf Academy down in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. Um, and then I played college golf down in South Carolina, too. And you know, I was always just working on my swing, a total range rat. Um, and uh, so at Golf Digest, I did a bunch of instruction stuff that was primarily on the web team there. Mm-hmm. And, then at, uh, and then at USA Today and For the Win, I was, you know, I was covering golf more generally. Um, but I would always find ways to sort of work in different sort of swing breakdowns about PGA Tour players. But you're right, the focus was definitely on sort of you know, the tour and, um, and maybe golf culture at the same, you know, these two things. And now, uh, I was, I was Ashley Mayo, who I worked with at golf digest. She is now the head of brand at the parent company of, uh, at the parent company of golf.com and golf magazine, uh, which was acquired by, uh, how, how Milstein last year, mm-hmm. um, she's been doing some really incredible stuff, ramping it up in all kinds of different ways. And, pouring resources behind it so it's a really you know there's a lot of big plans ahead and it's all very exciting and Ashley sort of reached out and asked if I'd be interested in coming aboard and it was just it was just like a dream come true really for a swing nerd like me so um very excited and feel very lucky to be here and you know you do a great job uh, listeners you can li- follow Luke on Twitter at Luke Kerr Denine. and what's interesting Luke is if I were in your shoes I would be a little scared about talking about the golf swing a little bit. I mean, wasn't it a little, uh, I don't know, were, were you nervous at all talking about the the the, uh, the golf swing at all? Because certainly you're stepping into the world of these well-known golf instructors who are really the most outspoken on Twitter. Yeah, it's 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 a really good point that you pick up on. Um, I mean, the the golf instruction space, it's funny. It's one of the t- people not in golf. It's like, 
people would be amazed to learn that this thing even exists. Mm-hmm. But man, like it is a really like combative space. Um, and it makes sense why they're a bunch of people whose uh, careers and reputations that are uh, built around their ideas, right? And th- their ideas have to do with the swing. You know, this guy says you should swing golf club that way, and that's his business depending on it. Um, and then another guy says, no, that's wrong. This is how you should do it, and his business depends on that. So it just becomes a really combative place. Um, and of course, like my job is uh, when I'm overseeing instruction across all our platforms at golf.com and golf magazine is to make sure, like, everybody is essentially to be the not the intermediary but a platform for people to share different ideas about stuff right right um, and even though uh, golf.com doesn't have like an opinion on certain things on like how to swing a golf club we want to be the platform for letting some of the brightest instruction minds um share what they think um because the truth of the matter is is like you know having been a sort of instruction nerd myself and you know just kind of living in it every day is that there you know there there are like multiple ways to skin a cat right like there are, there are different methods there are different things that work for different people that you know everybody's built very differently which means their biomechanics are very different um so it really like there there is no sort of secret right there is no one way to do it and this way is superior to all the others it's really all it's all relative depending on sort of your your yourself and your body type what i really like that you're doing on social is kind of taking a look from a historical perspective to touch on some of the things you just mentioned luke about how people some of the best players in the game have you know played this game and just the different ways that they move their bodies and the way that they got their unique swing to do what they want that ball to do. How has that been for you to kind of go back in the annals of golf history to kind of see, wow, these are the, these are the greatest players ever that we've all heard about, but to really dissect their swings. Oh, it's great. It's so much fun. And it's something that I just like just adore doing. Um, and what's really given me something of a new appreciation for like, if, if me and you Adam sat down and we're looking at a swing of, I don't know, like Bobby Jones or Ben Hogan or something. Um, and and then we were to look at a swing like I don't know what's like an ultra modern golf swing like a Jason Day tie yeah. or a, you know uh, yeah like Jason Day is probably just the classic example of like a modern powerful golf sure, swing. Sure, sure. Um, uh, and it's it's just given but it's given me like an appreciation of how equipment really influences the way you swing a golf club like really influences mm-hmm. it. Like a guy like Pat, uh, like Daniel Berger, or guy like Dustin, or Dust, yeah, a guy like Dustin Johnson, even like probably wouldn't have existed back in like the '60s and the '70s and '50s and stuff because not because the way they swing a golf club is bad, it's certainly not. But if you look at a way, if you look at say a Jack Nicklaus type, right, or a Johnny Miller. Mm-hmm. These guys were putting a lot of backspin on the ball because the sweet spot on these drivers was so difficult to hit that if you didn't hit it and you didn't have backspin, a lot of backspin on that ball, you couldn't control it. Right, right. right. And you and you see this all the time. You see like some like modern young studs. Like I saw this video a few months ago of this like young Australian mini tour pro who's just like a you know like a bomber type picks up a wooden golf club misses the sweet spot by a fraction of a millimeter and falls out of bounds right 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 the reason the reason why is because when as equipment got better and better um the emphasis on needing to rein in your mishits was sort of handled by the quality of equipment right so what ended up happening is you had guys 
coming along saying, well, I, I don't need more backspin. I need less of it because I want to hit these, rip these draws because I know I'll be able to control it because of the equipment. So I'm just kind of dialing in on power. Um, and it's just fascinating to see that process evolve from like, you know, a Johnny Miller type on one end of the spectrum all the way to like a Daniel Berger, um, where like the way they swing a club is just so relative to the equipment that they are using to swing. You know, you, you touch on a lot of different things, because obviously, as you know, we talk a lot about equipment here on this podcast. And, you know, you just recently tweeted out a, uh, a small video or a short video of Seve just swinging out of his shoes. You said you, you, you a <laughs> little, little tongue in cheek about he's just kind of lacing it just down the fairway a little bit or easing one down the fairway is how you put it. And he looks like he's literally breaking his back trying to get that that club through the slot there. And, you know, that's not a, a swing speed per se that we see from modern players to your point and you know equipment just has so much to do with that as you pointed out but you know in in looking at these swings you know from then and now and comparing them to now you know obviously equipment's a big difference here but are there other little intricacies that you're noticing between the two generations so to speak where you know hey there's something different there because you mentioned a couple names for example Dustin Johnson, we all know his trademark bowed wrist at the top of the swing, but surely there were a few different examples throughout golf history where that was kind of similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's funny uh, you bring up Seve there. And Seve's actually probably one of the few guys I think who'd actually probably have fared better nowadays than he did back then. Because back then, of course, he was like a horrible driver of the golf ball. <laughs> right. He was just swinging so hard. Um, nowadays, like you sort of feel like equipment would maybe cover for him a little bit. Um, but yeah, in terms of like similar, like similarities and swings over the years, like, uh, you know, the, you see, you see a few different things. I mean, the big thing nowadays is that you see a lot more guys coming in with like shut club faces, like mm-hmm. the bowed wrist. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Adam, but when I was growing up, it was like, you almost never saw anybody with a bowed wrist and right. it was, you could not do this period, you know? And, but like. Then guys like Dustin Johnson and Daniel Berger and like, you know, come along and they're hitting it so hard because they're managing to shut the club face down and make up for it by swinging really hard with their body. Um, It's like a power move counteracting another power move in Mm -hmm. order to hit straight, which is like the dream. Um, But I mean, I think the one ever present thing across all these areas is is power, right? Like people make a lot, people talk a lot about how you know, it, you, there was the supreme emphasis on accuracy back in the day, and right. that's true, right? We just talked a bit about it. But, like, Greg Norman, who was just a stalwart as well, number one, was just a bomber, right? Yep. Nicholas was a bomber. Palmer was a bomber. People talked about how Bobby Jones was, like, hitting these titanic drives that nobody else could touch. Like, Hogan, like, is a pound-for-pound pound monster, and, of course, Sam Snead is too. So I think that's the one thing that, uh, in order to sort of – I feel like really contested at the top 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 level you have to you have to hit the ball far hey guys it's your buddy adam from golfandfilter.com we're going to get back to the conversation in just a second but i want to ask you a very important question are you the best putter in your foursome chances are if you're thinking twice about it that means you're probably not luckily you can go to club champion and get all your putting woes fixed Did you know that putting accounts for 40% of your strokes? Well, your putter should be 100% fitted to your game. Club champions, master fitters, and builders can find the right putter to help shave strokes off your score and instill that confidence on the green that you've been hoping for all these years. 
Go out to clubchampiongolf.com today to learn more. And we're seeing that so much, certainly modern day. I mean, there's a lot of talk on social and elsewhere about just the distance that the golf ball's flying. And, you know, regardless of whatever we think about whether or not there's an actual golf ball debate and whether or not the ball needs to be rolled back, to your point, there's still there, there's always been that separation from the long hitters to those who aren't as long. And, you know, what I wonder, Luke, is, you know, is this just simply the the natural evolution of the game where we're always going to see this type of thing. And because of equipment, it's, yeah, it's going to get a little bit longer or in your mind, do you think that, you know what, maybe we do need to learn from history a little bit, understand that there's always going to be those long hitters. And maybe we need to focus more on the actual golf courses that these guys are playing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. Like I, to be honest, like I really don't have like, as a like a strong like roll back the ball opinion sure. like i just, i never have like i don't you know part of it is because i don't fully understand how it could work right like you can't roll the ball back 20 percent um because that would you know you know it's only 330 it's a, you know it was just it just the math doesn't fully make sense to me but i'm not the most informed opinion guy about this which is why you never see me write about it um but the one thing i do like that strikes me sometimes is that like i look at the rider cup for example, last year, and I see water lining like both sides of a fairway, and and I just think like, yeah, this seems to be a pretty. This seems to be what pro golf should look like, <laughs> right? Right? Like, force a guy to hit it somewhere, and if he doesn't, he has to take a penalty because he can't hack out a water. He can't cheat his way around water, right? Like he can't hit it far enough to ha- to like gouge it out. Mm. Um, and so, and I know that course was criticized because some people say, oh, it's target golf, there's no strategy. But like, to me, golf at the highest level is sort of an execution game. And, um, you know, I do sort of wonder, like, okay, if that's the case, then let's make these guys execute. Uh, let's make right. sure they hit. And the ironic thing is, is that you'll start seeing driving accuracy goes up, right? If if yeah. if they if they put water down, if there's more water. Of course, that's not a great solution for the everyday golfer. But we're not talking about the everyday golfer. We're talking about golf at the tour level. Yeah. I sort of think um, that's sort of my like semi-unpopular, half-baked opinion on this that I sort of find myself wondering about a lot. But yeah, I can't help but think it has to do more with like certain setups of the golf course than the equipment itself. I think a lot of people share that opinion, actually. I mean, I know I do. And, you know, I have always kind of been in the camp of, yeah, you know, the golf ball is going too far if you talk about just real estate, you know, when you actually talk about the surface of the courses that these people are playing on. But again, to your point, if we were to just make these courses tougher, and the Ryder Cup that you pointed out is a great example, you know, they can hit the ball as far as they want. It's just a matter of how do you get the ball in the position on the course that you want it to be. And who cares if you hit a driver, if you hit a four iron or even in the advent now and and the focus of uh, driving irons, utility irons that are coming out. You know, I mean, it's it's just so the equipment's going to change. The swings are probably going to stay relatively similar, but the game itself remains true, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, like that's to me the thing that. Yeah, I keep coming back to right. It's that like if you if you're looking at if you're playing a hole if you're playing a bunch of holes that look like eighteen at Sawgrass, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or like the whatever that uh, what is it sixteenth hole at the Ryder Cup course, like suddenly what you'll start seeing is guys' swings change in a way that makes them more accurate. 
you know, the, the swing stuff will look more efficient and more sort of um, targeted. And, and it just seems to me like that that is, it's, you know, without getting in all these bigger discussions about sure. and then this and the that, like, that to me seems like a very doable solution to the problem, right? Like, yeah. what, what I'm essentially saying is, grow out the rough a bit more. <laughs> like, right, right. Tighten this fairway, do this, do that. And sure, it's like, you know, I can understand that that will annoy people who know far more about course architecture than me, but it seems like that, you know, the, if, if guys are only hitting, you know, if a good driver of the golf was only hitting 52% of their, 54% of their fairways and they're okay with that, then that means, that, you know, <laughs> we, should, we should be really punishing them when they miss the 40, you know, the coin flip of the rest of the time. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, it's it's just so funny to see how these players, you know, uh, evolve to the courses. And I think that's what really, you know, uh, gets people a little frustrated or fans frustrated a little bit. You know, the traditionalists that want to see the courses protected, quote unquote. But at the end of the day, you know, these these players are simply just the best at what they do. And regardless of what we put in their hands, there's always going to be people who hit it further, who hit it, you know, straighter, who hit it better than others. And that's just really the nature of the game. But to kind of get back, Luke, a little bit to your role and, and some of the research and the content that you're putting out regarding the golf swing itself, what I really enjoy what you do is you ask these general questions to your uh, your followers on social. And one, for example, is talking about swing overhauls. And you had recently showed a quick little uh, picture about Nick Faldo, for example, when he overhauled his swing. Those who have followed his career know that that has happened. Certainly Tiger Woods, a modern example of someone who's overhauled his swing multiple times. And it's almost difficult for the, for the, uh, the layperson, the general golfer, to just say, you know what, well, these guys change their swings all the time. Do I need to go and overhaul my swing? All of that really to just ask Luke, you know, what is your opinion for someone who's trying to improve their game? Do they want to go to a to a professional and they want to say, you know what, break this swing apart, start me from square one, or do you prefer to build on the foundation that you've already established in your game? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, and, and I'll say, backing up before I answer more generally speaking, that I think the culture of like overhauling golf swings, even on tour a bit, is kind of waning. Um, it might come back, you know, one day, who knows. But it used to really be that like golf instructors had like defined methods about this is how we should swing a golf club. Um, but as like TrackMan's taken hold and KVest has taken hold and we're getting all this new data people are generally like methods are going away because people are just paying attention to the data a little more. Right. So they're looking at like launch angles and they're not really focusing on like a swing position. They're focusing on like different moves to help you like launch the ball higher, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, like, yeah, I would say that like, if you're a golfer trying to improve, like the secret to the golf swing, right? There is no, well, this, yeah, it, it, as much as there is one, the secret of the golf swing is not swinging the golf club one way. It's making sure that uh, you're matched up, right? So yes. there are moves counteracting other moves. So you see guys on tour that have strong grips like Zach Johnson, and that's totally okay so long as you do other things in your golf swing to account for it that aren't going to cost you, you know, that aren't going to negatively impact you. And conversely, a guy like Johnny Miller has super weak grip and he, and that's also okay, but he has to do certain things in order to help him hit the golf ball effectively. Um, 
So if somebody's sitting, listening to this and thinking, oh, I want to get better at golf, I need to tear it all down. I would say, no, you don't. You need to learn what your body wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. Like what, like, unless you're prepared to like go into a gym and not really touch a golf club even and just go into gym and like really change the way your like rotator cuff works. Right. Legs fire and you're this and your hips flexibility. Like you should just try to get in tune with and understand what your body does well, how your body applies force and what it doesn't do well. Um, and try to build a swing around that. Does that make sense? It does. And I wonder if that's something that really the listeners should take to heart because you, you, I don't know how many people actually do this, but if they were to watch some of the best, you know, swingers of the club that we mentioned, you know, recently, and if they say, you know what, I, I know that I need my body to do that. But really, they don't, if I understand you correctly. They just need to understand what their body can do and then preferably work with a uh, instructor to let them know, hey, okay, these are your restrictions. This is what your natural ability is. And at the end of the day, this is going to allow you to have more fun on the course if you can just simply do these one or two things. Exactly. Like a great example, I've been getting asked, as golf season approaches, I've been getting asked an awful lot around work for swing advice. And so I was... (laughs) work a swing of mine today and it's quite funny because you know the dude's like he's a good player he's like a high single digit handicap he's probably like an eight ish or six ish you know so he's like a good player but he's like oh you know i keep hitting these uh i keep hitting these like pull draws kind of these pull hooks sometimes these pull draws and occasionally a big slide Mm. and you look at a swing and uh you know his setup looks good his you know, his grip looks like on the slightly stronger end of neutral, if that makes sense. So sure. he's like, you know, his right hand's a little strong. And and, he, and he's coming and he has a really good backswing and it's a little steep. And then he comes over the ball a little steep. So he's like a tiny bit over the top, I guess. Um, and so a lot of instructors would say like, uh, you got to shallow it. Like you got to you got to work on getting it to the top and like really shallowing your golf swing. Right. Whereas, um, you know, this is something that I've just learned being able to interact with Mike Adams, who's just a total legend instructor of the game. He would look at a guy, he would do some tests on him, of course, but, you know, he would look at them and say, dude, you just need to weaken your grip a little bit. Mm. Because, like, if you weaken your grip and you're swinging hard, your body's kind of naturally wanting to move a little over the top, right? Like, it's naturally wanting to come a little steep on it. And, like, you want to hit down on the ball because that's the way your body applies force. If you just weaken your grip a little bit, you're going to be hitting these tight power pull fades. Like, hmm. and, it's, and, that, and without really having to worry about any of these massive, like, changes, overhauls to your downswing and your transition and your this and your that, simply by making a few little, like, uh, like ta- the same way you tailor a suit to your body. Like if we just tailor a golf swing based on what your biomechanics want to do, uh, you're gonna you, you you can have a game that could help you be a extremely good golfer, um, mm-hmm. especially at the amateur level. Yeah, for sure. And I think you touched on something there that really is important, listeners, for you for you all to take away. And, and you may already know this, but it's almost it's common sense that, but it's not necessarily common practice. Where if you were to go to an instructor, you may be thinking, you know what, I just paid X amount of dollars to have this person look at my swing. I'm expecting, you know, from A to Z, everything to be overhauled. But to Luke, to your point, it could be something as simple as just a grip adjustment. 
that will really put you in a position, literally, that will allow you to not only have more fun on the course, but also to shoot lower scores. And in some instances, depending on what your issue is, you may actually be able to play the game a little bit longer. And I'm speaking from experience, having back problems in the past, just making a couple quick, small changes, as opposed to making a complete swing overhaul. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you see this too with like, like if you think about, if like if you're a bigger guy, like a bigger golfer, um, and you think about somebody like, like a Craig Stadler or a Brendan de Jong, who are like Brendan de Jong for like a long stretch was just a phenomenal ball strike, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, and so you think about guys, you know, some guys like that. Now telling somebody, um, and those two swing the golf club a similar way, and it's no reason why, like telling those guys, okay, you need to load your back foot. You need to move your weight onto your back foot and then move it all the way through to your front wall. It's just not the right way to swing a golf club for those guys right because that's just you're moving around like quite a lot of mass there um and and the reason why those two are such good golfers and good ball strikers is they actually keep their foot they keep their weight kind of stationary throughout their swing and it's very much on their left side it's kind of like stack and tilty in that sense right like the weight kind of stays forward and they keep it forward um and the reason why they're doing that now that's not the right way to do it for everyone but for those guys um that's like the perfect way to use the you know to use your body weight to your advantage and it's simply by making a change implementing a move that's designed around your golf swing not around some like this is how a golf club should be swung theory folks once again we're talking to mr luke kerr Denine over at golf.com he is the instruction editor over there now we're talking a lot of great stuff here about just some of your expectations going into perhaps a golf lesson or even just of yourself when you go out to the range getting ready for the golf season. Because, Luke, uh, it's still a little bit chilly here in the Chicagoland area. I've played a couple times, but, man, I was cold. So I I know a lot of folks listening to this in the Midwest, at least, are getting ready to finally go out and knock that winter rust off. And so this is really useful information that hopefully a lot of people are picking up on. One thing I wanted to ask you a little bit about, though, is your continued – uh, work outside of even the instruction realm where you're helping out your buddy Sean Zach over at golf.com to talk about masters of yore. And it's this, it's this nice little podcast mini series, as you described it earlier about taking a look at uh, past masters rounds, the final rounds from, from masters of the past, because we have this great tournament coming up in a couple of weeks and you're just basically reviewing how that round was played. Tell us a little bit about what you and Sean are doing. Oh, it's an awesome, and this is really like Sean Zach's brainchild over on our end, and he just had this great idea for a podcast miniseries, and it's so well executed, and he really is like the brains behind it, so more, so much credit to him. Uh, he, so, you know, he said so all the broadcasts, of course, are on, they live on YouTube, and so he picked out 10 of them, you know, a lot of iconic ones, 86, 04, um, 75, and he said, okay, boys, he would assign them out. He said, rewatch the entire final round of the broadcast, then we're going to break it down. Um, so, you know, every couple of weeks, you see, you see you, you, this entire series is based around recapping different 
podcast and it's just really well done i think it's an i'd like to think it's an enjoyable read uh, excuse me listen even though i'm very biased in my <laughs> um but yeah so check it out and any feedback you have uh let me know my my, my one massive criticism to sean was that we didn't get to do a nick Faldo episode but mm-hmm. he assured me that would happen in season two so i'm gonna forgive him for that it's probably the best thing on youtube is just to go back and revisit especially this time of year of course where a lot of people are getting their golf season started the masters being kind of the unofficial start to all of our golf seasons and you know what i always find interesting about watching you know, old footage of this tournament. First of all, certainly at Augusta, you just want to see how the course has evolved over time. But also you want to see how these these great players that we've all read about, watched, listened about, how they've played the course. And in your research, the, the rounds that you've watched, Luke, have you noticed that it's pretty similar how the winners actually choose to, you know, course manage Augusta National? Or is there a name that sticks out that said, wow, this guy did something just completely different that nobody ever did and that led to his success? Um, yeah, so the obvious answer is that they all take advantage of the par fives usually, right? Like uh, they all, and that can be done in a variety of ways. Like Zach Johnson takes advantage of the part took advantage of the par fives a lot differently than a guy like phil mickelson um but that's a big thing but the one thing that just stuck out to me is how many guys who kind of started slowly on the front nine and then really ramped it up on the back nine i mean it's 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 really interesting i mean it's a credit to just the course itself like the course is just so well routed and constructed and there's so many good holes in it and there's sort of risk award holes too that um it kind of makes that possible mm-hmm. but it's, it's like a little bit of a lesson right that even though your round gets off to a poor start like keep at it because because 18 holes is a long is a long is a, is a long stroll once you uh, once you really think about it and it's a remarkable how many winners look like they weren't going to be winners earlier in the day Hey, the back nine, or I'm sorry, the Masters doesn't start until the back nine on Sunday, right? That's the old adage. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So, listeners, once again, that was Mr. Luke Kerdeneen. You can follow him on Twitter at Luke Kerdeneen. Uh, be sure to check out his work on golf.com as well. He's talking a lot about golf swings, uh, golf instruction. He is your guy to ask all those questions. Uh, Luke, we'll do this again. I swear it won't be another couple years <laughs> until we get you on the show. And thanks so much for your time today. Of course, Adam. Thank you.